My name is Pastor Brandon, and um, some of you guys may know I'm the evangelist pastor here, and I have the privilege of being able to bring the word this morning. Uh, we've been, yeah, we've been um, going through a book, not, not a book, a series rather, uh, Ecclesia, and the purpose of the series is to really kind of, um, by way of remembrance and study, go back to, uh, to discover what was the origin of the church, what was God's purpose and design, and then in this time of history, where do we fall into play, and, and what does that mean to you and me? What does it mean for our homes and our life experience, and of course, uh, when we finally leave this place we call Earth? So today, what I'd like to do is, is just kind of uh, jump off of where pa uh, Pastor Derek left us off last week. If you were with us last week, uh, Pastor Derek invited us to be baptized and uh, filled with the Holy Spirit. Some of us have already received the Holy Spirit, but um, we responded to uh, the refreshing. God, we want, we want more of you. Um, there, was a, there was an author, I don't, I don't know who it was, it stuck with me in a commentary once. I read, uh, the evidence of, of um, the grace upon your life is the desire for more grace. The evidence that God's grace is in you and working through you is that you desire more grace. And so, uh, we we want to be filled with the Holy Spirit, and when we're filled, we want more of the Holy Spirit. Can I get an amen? amen. Was that too early for an amen already? I'm already asking for amens. Um, but here's what we're going to do, just a short passage of Scripture. If you would, just stand with me. You can open up your Bibles to Acts chapter 2, and I'm going to read at verse 17. Actually, I'll start at verse 16. And then you can remain standing while I pray, and, and then you can be seated. But it says this. It says, but this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. And it shall come to pass in the last days, says God, that I'll pour out my spirit on all flesh. Somebody say all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. And on my men servants on my maidservants, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they shall prophesy. Father, as we read this, this word, God, this promise written in your word for us today and this very hour, God, we pray that we would see the fulfillment of this. Uh, God, we pray that there would be nothing lacking, God, when you've promised that you've given us all things in Christ. Lord, we pray that uh, you would fill us to the uttermost, God, that we would overflow in our homes, that we would overflow in our place of work, that we would overflow, God, that our life would be the abundance of what you've poured in. May we pour it out as an offering unto you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You may be seated. You'll remember with me that when Jesus was uh, crucified, prior to his crucifixion, he had told his disciples on many occasions that, uh, that he was not only going to die, in fact, uh, and sometimes he gave in great detail how he would die, and then he even went as far as other times to tell them that three days later he would be resurrected, and yet many times they, they still didn't understand, Lord, what do you mean? What is it that you're trying to tell us? And Jesus would tell them again and again, and even as we do communion, we're reminded that Jesus at the Last Supper, we call it the Last Supper, um, 
not, not maybe the, the best term because Jesus said at the Last Supper that we'll, we'll drink this cup anew with him again in the kingdom of God. And so it's not going to be the Last Supper. It was the, it was the first of many suppers to come, if you will. But in the sense that he made it clear to them that this is my body which is broken for you. I'm, I'm going to die. My, my body is going to be ripped. And this is my blood which is poured out for the sins of many. He let them know as, as up close and personal as he could, as, as real as you can get. He said, listen, I'm, I'm going to die. But I'm going to be resurrected. Three days later, Jesus was resurrected and we're told in the scriptures that uh, not only had he told them of his resurrection, but he told them of the promise of the Holy Spirit. And so here he is now resurrected and for 40 days he's on the earth appearing to his disciples. And John tells us that he did so many works uh, in this period of time and throughout his life that they couldn't even all be recorded in a book. But he tells them, I want you to wait. Wait, wait, wait in Jerusalem. You could hear them asking, well, why, why Lord, why, why are we waiting? Isn't this the, the, the pivotal moment in history that you've now died and resurrected? No, there's more. I want you to wait. I told you that I would fill you with the Holy Spirit. In fact, it wasn't just me, it was the prophets who came before me. They, they prophesied, Joel prophesied, that God would pour out his spirit on all flesh. Ezekiel prophesied that God would take out the heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. All throughout the scriptures, the prophets looked forward to a moment in history. Wait. It's upon you now, but I want you to wait. In John 15, you'll remember that Jesus actually told his disciples, there, there, was, there was no uh, holes barred, no punches was held. He let them know. He said, hey, listen, I'm, I'm going to ascend. I'm going to go to the Father. And when I go to the Father, I'm going to ask him to send the comfort of the Holy Spirit. And you'll remember after the 40 days had ended that they were sitting there, they were talking with Jesus, and all of a sudden the scripture says, and he began to ascend. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine just, you know, it's like uh, somebody let a balloon go. You ever just stood? Like, I'm that guy, right? I'll just, some of you guys know me. I just, I'm, I, I'll just stare off even when there's no balloon. But, I, you know, just watch it and watch it. And, and then you look away and see if you can still see it, right? Can you imagine what it must have been like for the disciples? They're, they're talking with Jesus. And all of a sudden, just as he had told them, he begins to ascend. Up, up, up. He goes, and we know that they were their, their, their eyes were fixed because uh, the scripture says that they didn't even realize that there were two angels. When they, when they came to, there was uh, two men in glistening white that were standing next to them. Saying, gentlemen, why, why is it that you stand here looking up? Don't you know that in the same way that Jesus uh, ascended, that is, is this, in the same manner, you'll see him descend from the clouds. Amen. Right? But Wait. But wait, wait in Jerusalem, because the promise of the Holy Spirit is coming. The scripture says, and it shall come to pass in the last days. Now, I've heard some preach that there's a day coming when God is going to pour out a spirit, but I would say that's fallacy, that's not correct. The scripture interprets for us when is the last days. Because when you get to the book of Acts, you see that as they waited in Jerusalem, that the Holy Spirit fell upon them. And that these, 
these men from uh, Samaria began to preach and declare the wonders of God in another language, languages that weren't their own. So when other Jews had come from uh, different parts of the world and other people had come from other parts of the world, they, they heard them proclaiming the praises of God in their own tongue. And they, and they thought, how could this be? And Peter makes it clear to them, hey, listen, these men are not drunk as you might think. I know this sounds crazy, but what was prophesied in, in, by the prophet Joel, that in the last days that God will pour out his spirit on all flesh, you are witnessing the historical event of all time. God is fulfilling his promise, and everyone, the prophecy ends like this, and everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That everyone who calls upon the name of Jesus shall be filled with the Holy Spirit. I want to address the question, what is a, a relevant church? How is the, the church that God created and purposed, how is it relevant to us today? How is it relevant to the world? And I would say, well, the scripture tells us it's very relevant because when a man or a woman gets filled with the Holy Spirit, let me say that in, in another way, when, when a child or a teenager gets filled with the Holy Spirit. Some of you say, well, well, I've loved Jesus all my life. No, you haven't, you were born a sinner. But maybe at a young age you heard the gospel, you believed and in that hour you received the Holy Spirit. Because God is no respecter of persons. There's no age limit to God, it's by faith. The young are saved. It's by faith that the man on the cross lived his life as a thief and a robber. Some would say, well, that's not fair. No fair is that God judges all men and gives us exactly what we deserve. Grace is not fair, and we don't want fairness, we want mercy, amen? In other words, God, don't give me what I do deserve. Please give me what I don't deserve, which is your grace. But how does this make us relevant? It makes us relevant because when you become filled with the Holy Spirit, the Bible says that you're a new creature. He who is in Christ is a new creature. All things have passed away. Behold, all things become new. God takes out the heart of stone. He gives you a heart of flesh, a heart now, that now desires him, a heart that loves him, a heart that beats for him. And that makes you relevant to your job place. That makes you relevant to your family. Why? Because all now that God has poured in, you and I begin to pour out. I, I just wanna address before we go any deeper, we're gonna talk about how this affects family in just a moment. But I, I want, if you will, just to highlight this truth. And I hope that it's a truth that never leaves you. And it's this, we live in, in the most tumultuous times of history, at least since I've been alive. I'm not, I'm not that old, but as I, as I, uh, as I look at my surroundings, I can't help but think this has got to be some of the craziest times in all of history. Even in the sense, uh, well, there, there were crazier times, I'm sure, but there's a sense in which this is different. We have access to knowledge like we've never had before. We have access to uh, the world's information and their ideas and their ideologies and the things that they uphold and the things that they reject. And there's a sense and almost feels like Babylon all over again where everyone is speaking the same language and they're trying to build their own tower to God. That's where we find ourselves. 
We're living in times where um, I was walking with my family the other day. We went to the mall, and I kid you not, on every single window, there was people's sexual preferences placed on the windows for advertisement. And there's no hiding it. There's no running around it. Here we are. And some would go as far as to say, man, we are living in some crazy times. This is a, uh, don't amen this, okay? I'm I'm giving you a a warning shot, right? You don't want to be the one that says amen and then I shut you down, right? (laughs) But some would say that uh, this is a crazy time to raise kids, right? I've I've heard, uh, and and I've I've got kids of my own, and I'm not immune to that thought. I've thought, oh my goodness, what have I done? What have I done raising kids in, in this generation? And some who haven't had kids yet are, are afraid to have kids. I, I, hear, I hear them. You hear them. We, we've all said in some form or fashion that, that uh, you know, this is no time to, to have kids. I, I would tell you that the scriptures sorely, sorely disagree with you and I. I would tell you that the, the, the prophet said, oh, I long to live in your day. You, you, uh, you receive a, a, a measure of the Holy Spirit that we never had, David would say. Uh, in fact, Jesus said that Abraham looked forward to my day and was glad. Abraham looked forward to the promise of the Holy Spirit come through Christ. That Ezekiel looked forward and Joel looked forward and David looked forward. In fact, the scripture tells us in First uh, Peter chapter 1, verse 10, you can see it on the screen. It says, of this salvation, that's a lot of words, so I don't know if, if, uh, if you can see them clearly. But it says, of this salvation, the prophets have inquired and searched carefully, who prophesied of the grace that would come to who? To you. Searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ, who was in them, was indicating when he testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. To them it was revealed that not to themselves, but to us. To who? To us. That they were ministering the things which now have been reported to you through those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Things which angels desire to look into. I mean, we're talking monumental we're, we're talking, it, 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 it closes, it opens by telling us that the prophets desired to see this day come to pass. What day? The day when God would pour out his spirit on everyone who called upon his name. It wasn't so. In the times of old, the Holy Spirit came on whom he willed and he empowered them for a certain task or duty. He came upon the, the high priests and the prophets, but now the Bible says they shall all prophesy. They're all my high priests. They're all my prophets. Everyone who comes, let them come. In fact, the church cries out, come. God sends out his people to beckon people to come. And God says that he longs to fill us with his Holy Spirit. Did you know Jesus actually said that? Every time I come across this particular verse, I think, why don't I quote this more? This should be one of my go-to verses. I, I, I uh, I, I rarely say it. And I think it should be said. It's a powerful verse. Listen to what Jesus said. What was Jesus' hope and anticipation when he was on the earth? 
Luke chapter 12, verse 49. It's not on the screen. I'll just quote it here. I don't think it's on the screen, is it? Yep, it is. Okay. I was more prepared than I thought. Doesn't happen often, but when it happens, praise God. <laughs> All the staff are really laughing. Um, Luke chapter 12, verse 49 says, listen, listen to what Jesus said. I love this. He says, I came to send fire on the earth, and how I wish it were already kindled. Oh, there's a man with a mission. Jesus says, I, uh, this is what I came to do. I came to fill God's people with the fire of the Holy Spirit. Remember, John the Baptist said the same thing. He said, I baptize you with water under repentance, but there's one coming whose sandals I am not worthy to untie, and he will baptize you with fire and the Holy Spirit. Woo! Is, it, is that too early this morning? Too, too early? The relevancy of the modern church is contingent on the baptism of the Holy Spirit. There is no man-made religion, no practice, no program or protocols that can be set into play to produce the fruit that only comes from a genuine relationship with Jesus. When we talk about being filled with the Holy Spirit, we're talking about having a relationship with God. It's real. It's personal. Why? Because he's now dwelling inside of you. So many say, I, I open up the Bible, I don't understand it. Could it be that you do not have the Holy Spirit? I don't say that to condemn you, I say that to invite you. Because the Bible says the man without the Spirit cannot perceive the things of God. But when you have the Holy Spirit, you open up the Word of God, and all of a sudden the Holy Spirit begins to reveal to you some truths at a time. It doesn't mean you understand it all, but it means he gives you nuggets as he sees fit. And he causes you to hunger for more. When we're filled with the Holy Spirit, we become relevant to the world around us. But the first place that we become relevant is our home. I want you, I didn't put it on the screen and I, I didn't do it on purpose because I want you to physically see the very last promise in the Old Testament. The very last promise in the Old Testament. So if you would, open up your Bible and turn to the book of Malachi. Malachi chapter 4, and because it's the very last promise of the Old Testament, you can go to the very last chapter of Malachi, and then you can go all the way down to the very last verse. And we're going to start at verse 5 and read to verse 6, the, the very last verse, the very last promise of the very last prophecy of the Old Testament. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. So before the Messiah comes, God is going to send Elijah the prophet. Now you'll remember with me that Jesus referred to John the Baptist as Elijah. That, that uh, 
Elijah was to turn the people's hearts to repentance and that John the Baptist came in that same spirit with that same ministry. And so Jesus says, if you'll accept it, that prophecy that talks about Elijah coming before the return of the Lord, that was John the Baptist. So now we see that we are in the fulfillment of this promise. So what does it say? It says, behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord, and he will turn the heart of the fathers to the children and the heart of the children to the fathers, lest I come and strike the earth with a curse. So there it is that Christ has come, that God is calling people to repentance, that God now commands all men everywhere, as it says in Acts chapter 17, to repent. And that when we repent, that God fills us with the Holy Spirit and the first effect of the Holy Spirit is in the home. And what does God do? He turns the heart of the father to the children and he turns the heart of the children to the father. How's that working in your home, by the way? (laughs) Hey, it's a work. It's a work, somebody. I don't know why God's so silent on me. I'll tell you right now, we need, we need fathers to be filled and baptized with the Holy Spirit now more than ever. I say now more than ever because there is an attack on the family like never before. I'll say uh, with the words of Christ, oh, how I long that men would be filled with the Holy Spirit and they would turn to the heart of their children. And oh, how I long that children would be filled with the Holy Spirit and they would turn to the heart of their fathers. We would see a world on fire. We would see our churches on fire. It's become commonplace that women fill the pews more than men. Oh, that there were men who would lead their families. Come on, somebody. Let me give you some devastating effects of fatherlessness. You can see it on the screen here. According to the U.S. Census Bureau, 18.4 million children, one in four live without a biological step or adoptive father in the home. 63% of youth suicides involve fatherless homes, a rate five times the national average. Of the in-state operated institutions, prisons, jails, and youth homes, 70% of youth come from fatherless homes. Of youth in prison, 85% come from fatherless homes. Daughters without fathers are 92% more likely to get divorced. Are you with me? The Holy Spirit came to change that. Some might say, well, well, it's too late. My family's already in shambles. I would say, it's never too late. It's never too late. Well, my daughter doesn't want to have anything to do with me. Oh, you think so? When's the last time you tried picking up the phone, led by the Holy Spirit, to to call? And maybe she doesn't want to see you call once, but maybe she wants to see if you'll call twice. And maybe she doesn't want to see if you call twice, but maybe she wants to see if you're willing to take a flight out. Are you with me? Like, when will we get to the point where we fight for our family? There's been so many times I've been tempted as a father to say, well, well, if, uh, if, if, if a member in my family, and of course, this is led by the devil, uh, absolutely. 
but the thought comes in and says, well, if, if my wife wants to treat me this way, then maybe I should just leave. Or I remember there would be so many times that I would, I would kiss my daughter goodnight and she would, she would push me away. She would laugh, but she'd be, she'd be pushing and she didn't know that that, I, that hurt me. But then I thought to myself, by the help of the Holy Spirit, I thought, well, how many times have I pushed God away? And, and what was his response to me? Did he, say, did he say, well, fine, you want it like that, it'll be like that. Or did he continue to pursue me and pursue me and pursue me and pursue me to the point that my heart broke? And so I say, God, well, if this is how you treat me, then obviously this is how I should treat my family. I'm not making myself out to be the hero because thank God for his Holy Spirit, my, my family is filled as well. And so when I get hard-headed and I say stupid things and I do dumb things, that they've learned to be merciful to me as they've experienced God's mercy towards them. But all of that happens by the power of the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit that reveals to us is, not that, is that not what the scripture says? The scripture says that the love of God has been shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. In other words, how do we know? How do we know that we know that we know that God truly loves us? Well, we know because he died on the cross. Yeah, but, but how do I get that truth from out there to in here? And the Bible says the Holy Spirit bears witness to the truth. So that in your hearts you know that he loves you. And you're now able to turn and bear fruit for those around you. But the first place it changes is in the home. I can't talk about having children without talking about the effect that the Holy Spirit has on your marriage. This to me is one of the most fascinating promises in the New Testament. You can pull it up on the screen here. It's 1 Corinthians chapter 7, also very wordy, so maybe the words are small here, but... It says, if any brother has a wife who does not believe and she is willing to live with him, let him not divorce her. And a woman who has a husband who does not believe, if he is willing to live with her, let her not divorce him. For the unbelieving husband is sanctified by the wife. And the unbelieving wife is sanctified by the husband. Now that word sanctified means to be set apart. That God still views the marriage as holy, even though one is a non-believer and the other is a believer. But because one is a believer and filled with the Holy Spirit, God says now that the whole marriage is holy unto him. So don't divorce. Why? Because I'm at work. I'm doing a work. He goes this on to say, not only is he doing a work, but in what, what sense? Well, he says, otherwise your children would be unclean. But now they're holy. Who's he working on? He's, he's working on the children. It was also in Malachi, let me, let me just bounce real quick, okay? Just bounce with me, rock with me, all right? It was also in Malachi that it says that the purpose of marriage is that the two would become one flesh, but then it says, but why one flesh? Because God desires godly offspring. That's why. Which, by the way, husbands, you know why we ought to love our wives? Because it has an effect on whether our children will follow the Lord or not. The two shall become one. They should honor one another. Why? Because God desires godly offspring. But if the unbeliever, if the unbeliever departs, let him depart. 
In other words, if the unbeliever says, well, I, I just can't be in this marriage. You believe one thing and, 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 and I don't. I, this is just not going to work. Well, if he wants to depart or she wants to depart, this is not advocating divorce, but it's not also not advocating slavery, right? Like if somebody wants to go, you can't make them stay married. Are you with me? You can pray the house down. You can do that. I'll advocate, I'll advocate that all day. But if the unbeliever departs, let him depart. A brother or sister is not under bondage in such cases. But God has called us to peace. For how do you know, O wife, whether you will save your husband? Or how do you know, O husband, whether you will save your wife? Now, of course, in context, we know that we don't save anybody. Jesus is the one that saves. But what is it saying? It's saying that when we are filled with the Holy Spirit, that God actually sanctifies the union of our family, that our children now are holy unto him, that our husband or wife is holy, even though they may not believe. Uh, what does that look like? Well, I believe in, in a practical circumstance, it, it looks like this, that he's, he's benefited off of the fruit that you bear. She's benefited off the fruit that you bear. In other words, they get to taste the goodness of God by the kindness of God working in and through you. And so God is at work. In fact, not only do they benefit uh, by the fruit that you bear, but they benefit by your prayers. Your husband or your, your, your wife gets a promotion, not because of the favor of the Lord that's on their life, but the favor of God that's upon your life, but because he loves you both, he does give them favor and answers your prayers. Are you with me? All that to say, I, I'm just trying to give a picture here that when we become indwelled with the Holy Spirit, there's power working in our home. God is in our midst. And I would say to those, because it is awfully quiet this morning, <laughs> my mind goes to the worst. Their homes are in shambles. Oh my. <laughs> but even if that were the case, we serve a God who raises the dead. Is he not able to raise your marriage to life? Again, if I could say it like the words of Jesus, oh, that there were people who were on their knees and they believed in the promises of God. Oh, how God would work in their families. Amen? Amen. And I do believe this morning that there are many who believe and God is at work. And so I would just say, wait on him. Just wait, just wait, just wait. Another area that uh, we're affected by as we receive the Holy Spirit, that we bear fruit, that we become relevant to the world. Uh, I don't know if this is a, a topic we all like, but it's necessary. Is preaching. Because I want to remind you that it did say that your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. To prophesy is to speak under divine influence which means that every child of God has the ability by the power of the Holy Spirit to be so filled with the Holy Spirit that you speak under divine influence. Amen? That's not just for Pastor Derek. That's not just for those who stand behind the pulpit. That is for every child of God. According to Joel 2 and in Acts chapter 2, I want to just mention real briefly three ways that the Holy Spirit helps us to prophesy. 
A, the Holy Spirit leads us to those that we should speak to at our job, marketplace, or travel. Uh, you remember that Pastor Derek said, uh, you know, if the first century church flourished in the times that they were in, there's no reason for us not to flourish. And it's funny because as I was reading, I came across this verse. This is in Acts chapter 8, and Paul is, uh, he's ransacking the church. I mean, he's, he's, uh, he's dragging people out of their homes, and, and the church now is, uh, the, 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 they're running, they're being persecuted. And it says, therefore, Acts chapter 8, verse 4, it says, therefore, those who were scattered went everywhere preaching the word. Think about that with me for a second. They were scattered, and so what did they do? They bit their nails, and they went and, hiding and hid in caves. They, they scattered, and as a result of their scattering, everywhere they went, they began preaching the word. Because persecution came, the gospel spread. The devil thought he was going to snuff them out. All he did was blow the flame. Are you with me? Now, I'm, I'm trying to relate that to our modern circumstances. And as much as we might be getting, uh, you know, taking jabs online and, uh, you know, rude comments from family members, I mean, the, the equivalent really today is like a job transfer. Right? Or, or, or maybe even on behalf of your faith, you lost your job. What, you know, whatever the case may be, you get moved, you got persecuted. Uh, that's not a reason to shut your mouth. That's a reason God is, God is bringing you somewhere else to share the gospel. What if we saw every opportunity as a divine opportunity? Is that not what the scripture says? Does it not say that the steps of a good man are ordered by God and he delights in his way? Well, if God orders my steps, we also know that the scripture says that God desires that no man should perish. Okay, so there's, there's two, uh, you know, two equations that I can do math with. Okay, I know that God desires that no man should perish. I also know that my steps are ordered by God. I also know that uh, faith come by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So that tells me everywhere I go, God has ordained me to open up my mouth and declare his word so that men can believe and be saved because God doesn't desire that they would perish. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Secondly, the Holy Spirit gives us the words to speak. Paul prays and he says, pray also for me that whenever I speak, words may be given to me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel. You know, sometimes we can look at Paul and we can be like, man, he, he always just said the right things at the right time. Or man, Paul was so bold. I'm not, I'm not bold like that. But then you look at Paul's prayers and you can see where did Paul's boldness come from? He came from prayer. So if Paul received boldness by way of prayer, then don't I have access to the same God via the same Holy Spirit by faith that Paul does? So if I feel weak and timid and I don't know what to say, what should I do? Pray. So for the, I'm going to say this in a very challenging way. So for those of us who complain, right, about, uh, about well, I'm timid, are you praying about your timidity? 
I'm going to just let that sit for a minute and stand here awkwardly. Are you? I, I never have the words to speak. Well, he actually prays that whenever I speak, words may be given to me. You know, you can do that. You can pray that the Holy Spirit would give you the words in the moment. I don't ever have the words. Are you praying for the words? And then the other third, third and last way that I'll mention is that the Holy Spirit bears witness to the truth when we speak it. I've said this before. I'm going to say it again. You're never alone when you're preaching the gospel. You're never alone when you're preaching the gospel. Well, what do you mean I'm never alone when I'm preaching the gospel? Well, because every time you open up your mouth to declare the truth, the Holy Spirit is right there, not only bearing witness in your heart, affirming you as you're saying it so that you're confident in what you're saying, but the Holy Spirit is also bearing witness to the unbeliever. This is what Jesus said. He said, I'll send the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit will convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. Sin because they do not believe in me. Righteousness because I go to the Father. And judgment because the evil one of this world now stands condemned. So let's just break that down for just a quick second. What does that mean? That means every time you declare the gospel, unbelievers are convicted of their unbelief. The Holy Spirit is actually, is actually standing right there with you going, hey, you know this is true. You know this is true. You know this is true. Yeah, but there's no evidence. And, you know, uh, there was other philosophers who said that there was another man who had resurrected. And it, it just seems too identical to other historical accounts that what Jesus claimed can't really be true. Anybody heard any of this? If you haven't, you have no idea what I'm talking about. But, but it, as they're saying all of that, the Bible tells me, I'm not going by what they say, I'm going by what the Bible says. The Bible tells me that they're actually being convicted. That they know in their heart this is the truth. And sometimes that's why they fight against it all the more. Because they know. And all Christians are hypocrites. And You ever stop somebody and just ask them, you're telling me you've never seen one faithful Christian. And they'll be like, yeah, actually my mom. Like, oh, okay, yeah. <laughs> but if you don't ask them, you don't know, right? But what's happening the whole time they're speaking, the Holy Spirit's going, ah, that's not true, that's not true. You've seen some faithful Christians in your life who have bore witness to the Holy Spirit and bore the fruit of it, and you've tasted it, and it's good. You know what you're saying is a lie. The Holy Spirit uh, bears witness uh, of righteousness that Christ has ascended to the Father, meaning that they know in their hearts there's no way to be right with God but by mercy and grace, and that mercy and grace comes through Christ who died on the cross for their sins. They know that they can't be right on their own. That's why, and I hear this all the time, that's why when you talk to an unbeliever, the first thing they say is, uh, well, do you believe in God? Is normally how I'll start a conversation. I know it's a really weird way to start a conversation, but it works great. Do you believe in God? Uh, yeah, you know, I, you know, but I mean, here's the next thing that they normally say. But nobody's perfect. Well, wait a minute, we weren't even talking about perfection yet. Like, we didn't even get that far into the conversation. How'd you just jump there? Because their first conviction was of righteousness. They know that there's no way to be right with God, and they know that they're not. So they just put it right, right out there in the forefront. And of judgment. The Holy Spirit convicts the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. Of judgment, Jesus said, because the evil one of this world now stands condemned. They know 
that their sins, if taken to an, an, into an account, will lead them guilty before God, and that the devil has already stood condemned in the eyes of God. His sentence has already been finalized, and anyone who does not submit to receive the mercy of God will fall into the same judgment of the devil. And the Bible tells me that as I'm sharing the gospel, that the Holy Spirit is bearing witness to all these truths in their heart, regardless of what their faces say. The Holy Spirit is with me and he's with you. You're never alone when you preach the gospel. And the Holy Spirit compels you to preach the gospel because it says, all my sons and my daughters shall prophesy, all of them. Are you a son or a daughter of the Most High God? Yes. Amen. That's the time not to be quiet right there. <laughs> and here's where I want to leave us this morning. Is that being filled with the Holy Spirit affects our prayer life. That now because we have access to the Father by the Holy Spirit, we can begin to pray. And what sort of things should we be praying for? Well, we should be praying to be better fathers and mothers. We should be praying to be, somebody might say, well, I'm not a father or mother. Well, you got one. You can be a better child. God, teach me how to love my wayward father. God, teach me how to forgive my absent mother. God, teach me how to love as you love. And we can pray to be used by God. God, wherever I go, may I be like, was it Stephen? It's not in my notes here. Was it who was caught up in the Holy Spirit and went and preached to the Ethiopian? Not, not Stephen, Philip. Thank you. Let me, let me be like Philip, God. Just, just take me wherever you want and let me be a witness for you. I'll do it. You just give me the strength, right? There's nothing wrong with praying that, making a deal with God, right? Hey, listen, I'll, I'll do it, but you got to give me the boldness. I'll do it, but you got to give me the power. I'll do it, but you got to give me the words. I'm, I, I ain't going to speak just to speak, right? Make me and you look dumb. Like, that ain't going to happen, <laughs> But God, if, 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 if you go before me, that's all I ask. If you go before me, I'll, I'll be faithful to open up my mouth. And according to what we just read, God promised he will. That his sons and his daughters shall prophesy. That he'll turn, he's not just going to turn the world upside down, he's going to turn your home upside down. He's going to turn your workplace upside down. And you're going to be a witness for him. And the love of God is going to be shown through your life and mine. Can I get a whole Holy Spirit hearty amen? Amen. amen. Hey, at this, at this moment, you know, this is just kind of uh, the prayer I had between just, just me and the Lord this morning. And, and as I've been working on this message, I... I um, 
I, I just felt like this is not an evangelistic message, in, in, meaning it's not for the world, it's, it's for the church, it's for our encouragement, it's a reminder of what we've been promised. And yet in that, I just, I just kept having this feeling that there are people that are going to be here in the first service and the second service that have, never, um, that, have, that have never truly given their life to Jesus. And here's what I mean by that. You've never truly been filled with the Holy Spirit. There are those who are on the fence. They've, they've tasted the goodness of God. They, in a sense, they know what it's about, but they don't see this power working in them. And then there are those of us who, um, who, who we're walking with the Lord and <laughs> we're a work in progress. There's, there's cones all around. <laughs> Saying caution, right? Is a, I'm a work in progress. I'm not, uh, not, not who I want to be, but I'm not who I used to be. But I'm really not where I want to be. <laughs> that, God, I, that God wants to do a work. And so here's what I want to do. I just want to, just pray for us this morning. I'm going to invite uh, some of the pastors and, and elders and follow-up team to, to come up to the front. We're not going to belabor this, and if the worship team could come up as well. And I just want to invite you to just respond to whatever it is that God may be speaking to you. And so I'm not even going to try to put that in words, but if you just feel like, man, I... God, I, I need more of you. I want to see Joel 2 fulfilled in my life to whatever degree. Then, I, I, then I, I just want to give you an opportunity to respond. We're going to have some of the, the elders and, and pastors up front. If you want to just begin to make your way up front and just take a step of faith. God bless you, brother. Father, we um, just pray with me here. Father, we, we thank you, God, for, for this uh, unparalleled time of history that we live in. This time that it was prophesied that you would pour out your spirit on all flesh. That some would see visions, others would receive dreams, but that they all would prophesy. That we would be filled to the brim, and, and maybe there's some of us this morning that we, we are filled, but we don't feel like it. God, would you remind us of the power that dwells inside of us? Change our homes, change our relationships, do a mighty work of your Holy Spirit. In the precious name of Jesus, we pray.